Hey, squirrel friends, it's JBC. Be sure to catch an all-new episode of Canada's Drag Race every Thursday night on the WOW Presents Plus app. Subscribe for only $3.99 a month for all the extra hot northern tea you can handle. Start your free trial now. Bonjour, 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 and welcome to the official Canada's Drag Race podcast. I'm Jeffrey Boyer Chapman, resident Judgy Judy of the North, and your squirrel friend spirit guide for all things Canada's Drag Race. I'm going to be joined every week by some incredible extra special guests, queens, and members of our Drag Race family as we recap each week's episode from top to bottom. You'll get an inside peek into what we see from up on the judges panel, and I'll kiki with the eliminated queen of the week about her experiences in the workroom and on the main stage after she done already done had herses. But before we get into it, like every episode, fair warning kids that this is going to be full of what? Spoilers! So be sure to watch along with us and stay up to date on all new episodes of Canada's Drag Race every Thursday night on WOW Presents Plus in the United States and select territories, also on Logo, on Crave, and Out TV in Canada, BBC3 in the UK, and Stan in Australia. And now, ladies and gentle them, start your engines and may the best woman win. Hey, squirrel friends, I'm here with this week's extra special guest, one of my favorite humans of all time and America's favorite funny man, Ross Matthews. Hi. <laughs> um, I love you. I'm so happy to be here. You know I love this show, Jeffrey. Um, and it's a real honor just to, to get to spend time with you because you are such a beautiful light in this world. Oh, I love you so much, Ross Matthews. Thank you for being here with me. It feels like such a full circle moment because every episode that I've appeared on RuPaul's Drag Race, I've had the blessing of sitting on the panel with you. I know. We have a, such a wonderful time, like a little kiki, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. uh, it, you just bring such a, a joy to to me personally. And I think you're so great on the show and I love you on Canada's Drag Race. I'm so happy to see you there. Thanks, Ross. That means You're so welcome. much to me. How are you today, my love? You know, I'm well. Uh, it's this like Corona thing is like awful. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm persevering. I have me and my three Chihuahuas, mm-hmm. so they yes. keep me company. <laughs> <laughs> and it's beautiful here in Southern California. And you know, I live b- between LA and Palm Springs, so I'm either in LA working or I'm floating on a noodle in a pool in Palm Springs with a cocktail. So how bad could it be? How bad? Oh, could it be? girl, I need to take you up on that offer and come join you out in the desert i know we were going to do palm springs last weekend and just stay feeling social distance with a you know happy hour situation but it didn't we, we'll make it happen we dropped the ball we will make it happen on a, on a on a on a good note though you just did deliver me some some positive political news that joe biden has chosen kamala harris as his vice presidential candidate yeah just to give people some context of when we're recording this that announcement was announced on twitter by biden nine minutes ago and i yes. jeffrey and i were getting ready to do this and i go oh jeffrey he picked kamala harris and so for me that's exciting you know i've endorsed joe biden i'm working with the campaign i'm going to be doing virtual fundraisers for them and i was a huge supporter of uh, kamala harris at the beginning of the primary so i'm very happy this is like a a dream for me i'm, I'm, pr- I'm very thrilled oh great i'm so happy to hear it 
So you are a very, very busy man and you um, are trying your best to stay up to date on um, all of the new episodes week by week of Canada's Drag Race. But tell me what you're thinking about the show and our girls so far. Well, listen, I mean, they're they're so talented. And I, you know, at first you think, oh, is it going to be weird to see it for, uh, within a whole other team? And you want, and it just instantly had its own identity, right? And these mm-hmm. queens are so talented. I'm so happy this show exists for all the talent up in Canada. You know, Jeffrey, I'm sort of an honorary Canadian because I grew up in Washington State, about 45 minutes under Vancouver in a little farm town. So I would always get Canadian TV. Uh, when you eat your Smarties, do you eat the red ones last? And um, oh! you know, quarter pounder with processed cheese. I watched all Canadian TV growing up and we would always drive up to Vancouver because we could drink when we were younger. <laughs> so I feel... I feel like uh, part uh, part of this show and part of this community. Well, in that case, I think we just need to get you up on the panel with us for an episode or two for season two. Uh, wouldn't that be fun? Where do you all tape? Are you, are you in Toronto? We're, we're outside of Toronto. We're Toronto adjacent in the same way that we film RuPaul's Drag Race in, you know, L.A. adjacent. Adjacent. The Valley. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the They're like tumbleweeds going by, but it's technically LA. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's it's snowballs rolling by where we Understood. film up in up in Toronto, adjacent. But I would love, love, love to have you up there. As you know, our our uh, our fellow judgy Judy Michelle Visage joined us for an episode. I'm so excited for you to see it. I cannot wait. Yeah, next season, I think season two, Ross Matthews needs to put on a parka and come up. Yes, and I I don't know if you've caught it. I don't know if you caught it in the last episode you saw, but I'm wearing your gift you gave me in every single scene of every single episode of Canada the Strike Rights. Not only did I catch it, but I screen grabbed it and sent it to you. And because yeah. I wear this, I love crystals and stones and all this stuff. And I, mm-hmm. Moldavite, Moldavite is my favorite. Moldavite. Stone. It is, yeah. it is uh, if you don't know it, everybody should Google it. It is the most powerful of all stones. It makes you harness your own psychic abilities and uh, intentions and uh, your own power and all of that. Mm-hmm. And I, I know you love stones too. And one day we were love talking it. and it was like, get in the car. We're going to my crystal store in Burbank. And I yes. bought you Moldavite and you actually wear it. Look, I'm wearing Every- mine right now. Me too. Every ah. single day I wear this. I mean, you don't only have the necklace though. You have a ring I saw when I saw you. I have a lot ago. of Moldavite. Yeah. And I'm yeah. always wearing some jewel on, on Drag Race when we're taping because I want to bring just the best energy I possibly can. I mean, that's who you are. I don't think that you could bring anything else even if you tried, Ross Matthews. You <laughs> are the light. You are our starship. We do have an off day here and there, don't we, dear? <laughs> we do, darling. We're only human. We're only yeah. human, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, let's dive into the show, shall we? So yeah. we start off with the queens entering the workroom after Boa's elimination last week and they're all singing Boa's praises and saying how proud of her they are how excited they are for the world to meet her but the kumbaya does not last for long because it is the top six and it is every queen for themselves I love it when it gets to this point in the season no this is great because it is the cream of the crop right and Mm -hmm. the pressure is on this is when some people are either going to rise to the occasion or crumble underneath it Mm -hmm. and uh, it's always an interesting part when we're filming the show it's um you, you can see either the fear in some of their eyes or you see some of them have the eye of the tiger it's a great time yes yes and it's it's so much fun um having this connection with the queens because at this point in the season we've known them for weeks and weeks we have a shorthand with them we know their strengths and their weaknesses uh we hold them up to a certain standard but but it's also so incredible to be surprised by some some new tricks that they pull out of their bag i was just gonna say that yeah yeah when you say oh i girl i didn't know you had that in there Mm -hmm. it's so fun to see that and i think this episode we see that in a couple of the queens 
Definitely. Well, let's get into it because Brooklyn enters the workroom and lets the queens know that they that we have entered them into the very first pageant in Drag Race history. What took so long? Can I just Girl. say that? What took, well, okay. And let me tell you, I am uniquely uh, qualified to be talking to you about this pageant because I don't know if you know this, but Ross Matthews was a judge on Miss Teen USA in 2002. <gasps> mm-hmm. I did not know Or this. three or four. It was one of those years. <laughs> and then Ross Matthews was a judge in Miss Universe. And Ross Matthews co-hosted uh, Miss America at one time. So <gasps> you know, I'm basically a pageant girl. You understand? I'm like an honorary, um, I'm honorarily crowning. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Does it hurt? Does it hurt? Uh, in the, it hurts in a good way. In the best way possible. That's so funny. I definitely had like the the uh, the much more budget version of your gig as a pageant judge. I, host, I hosted and judged a couple of pageants in my time as well. And I also used to work as a, as a scout for my modeling agency back in like my late teens, early 20s. So they used to send me to conventions all over the world. Are you kidding me? No, they're basically like modeling pageants, like where they had to come out. What and- did you look for as a model? And do I have potential? Two questions. You, Ross, I mean, you are the... You are- <laughs> Ultimate supermodel of the world, honey. Watch out, Rue. Um, <laughs> what do we look for? I mean, you know, I mean, so many things. With modeling, it's not just about the look and the sizes and the and the height and all of that. It really does come down to, are you likable? Do people want to be around you? Because so often when you have like, a, you know, uh, when you're going out for a job as a model, you have like 200 girls or guys who look just like you but at the end of the day it comes down to does, it, does the client and photographer do they like you do they want to spend time with you remember um um charlize theron was um uh she was discovered in line of the bank and this yeah. whoever it was talent scout was like you should be in this that i'm still waiting for that to happen i keep yeah. going to the mall I keep going to weeks never once did anyone hand me a card and said you've got a real future that is kind of how it ha- that is kind of ha- how it kind of happened for me honestly I was sitting in a oh, restaurant really? yeah I was sitting in a restaurant when I was a teenager and, a, and a, it was I had already been modeling for years but a director came up to me and asked me to come read for his new movie and I really didn't take it seriously I thought it was like a casting couch situation so I just gave him my modeling agent's information he emailed them I got a call from them that night as I was on my way out the door to a concert and they said you have an audition tomorrow I think it was like my first audition ever um, they sent me the sides I didn't know what sides were I was like fuck it when Went to the concert, got drunk, got back home, read the sides in my email, went in the next morning, like half hungover, auditioned and booked the part. And that's how, that's how I got my first Oh movie. my God, see? <laughs> well, listen, and that's what, to bring it back to Drag Race, that's what these, these queens need to do. They need to take one little opportunity and make yes. something out of it. And, uh, yes. and I think that's, I mean, she was giving them a lot of good advice, Brooklyn, in the walkthrough too. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Brooklyn's the pageant queen. Brooklyn is somebody who has snatched crowns like from coast to coast in America and in Canada when it comes to pageants. So when she when it comes to handing out the crown and coveted title of Miss Loose Jaw 2020, there's nobody better to be giving these girls advice and guiding them through it. What did you think? What were your best? What were your favorite moments in in Brooklyn connecting with the Queens? Well, I, what I think Brooklyn is so good at is that she's, she stood there. She's been in this competition. And so she's asking them questions and she's guiding them somewhere. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I think that is such great insight. It is the Queens that listen to her are the Queens that are going to benefit the most because she knows what she's talking about. Mm-hmm, definitely. Well, uh, in classic pageant form, we have three categories, the talent category, the swimsuit category, and the question and answer category. As the winner of last week's Maxi Challenge, Rita Baga gets to assign which Miss gets which. She chooses first, 
as mismatched, the optimistic and hopeless romantic. Next up, she assigns Jimbo, misbehaven, the town pump. <laughs> so funny. The fact that Jimbo volunteered for this is just everything. And the town bicycle, everyone's ridden. Yeah. That is so yeah. funny. <laughs> Scarlet Bobo gets misinformed, the, the know-it-almost. Lemon as misfits, a bratty pageant princess. Alona Verley as miserable, the sad sack. And Priyanka as misdemeanor, the angry hothead. Everybody seems pretty happy with their casting aside from Scarlet Bobo. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And that's so tough, you know. I mean, you got to get, you got to fight for the part you want, and then if you yeah. don't get it, you're. I mean, that's kind of that's tough because you, as an artist, you have a vision of what you're going to do. I know exactly what mm-hmm. I do with this one, and when you don't get it, I don't. I can't imagine being in that position, but you got to make it work. You sometimes it can work in your favor if you just you know take the energy of that and alchemize it and to flip it into something that taking that same energy of that want that need the desire to you know to be one certain thing and to just transfer that energy into another uh, platform down another avenue. I feel like that is that is the key to drag race is taking the essence of who you are and infusing it into every given challenge presented to you. Right. That's the whole point. That's how you win. <laughs> Well, cue the Miss Loose Job Pageant 2020. Your host for the evening is me, JBC. Coordinating with the wall behind you, by the way, looking gorgeous in that velvet. Thank you, darling. The first thing I thought when they asked me to do this was if this was the American franchise RuPaul's Drag Race, this would be Ross Matthews playing this role. <laughs> and you, uh, well, you would yeah. have done it well, honey. And you would have done it well. You would yes, have bought but, the. Uh, you did it first, honey. You, this is the first pageant ever, and you did it. Well, thank you, darling. Um, I introduce our esteemed panel of judges for the evening, founding member of the legendary troupe, The Imposters, Michelle Dewberry, who is the <gasps> oldest performing drag queen in the world, by the by. So hilarious and so gorgeous. And uh-huh. I love that. And we'll get to it in a minute, but later in the show, they did... Uh, allow for a few minutes of the queens mm-hmm. just reflecting on the 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 legend mm-hmm. that she is and and uh, how impactful she's been for our community and the LGBTQ plus community in Canada and uh, mm-hmm. I thought that was so great. We have to tell the stories of those who have come before us and we must pay homage to them. I couldn't agree more, my darling. We'll we'll touch on that as we get into uh, the later beats of the episode. Uh, also on the panel is Canada's favorite squirrel friend, Tracy Melshore. I love her. Me too. And all the way from Degrassi High, Stefan Rogan. So as somebody who grew up in Washington, close to the Canadian border, did you get Degrassi High and Degrassi yes. Junior High on your television? Did you watch it? Yes, but I will be quite frank. I, I had my hands full with an A.C. Slater and a Zach Morris and Kelly. <laughs> I, mean, I was already going to one school. I wasn't going to transfer midway. <laughs> I was a Bayside High all the way. Sorry, I was Bayside Tiger. Did you hear they're doing up Saved by the Bell reboot? Yeah, I don't know. I'd like someone to get a brand new idea. All these reboots Girl. are on my nerves, right? They're Girl. never the same. They ruin it. Look at Roseanne. Ruined it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You ain't wrong. Well, next up, we meet our contestants all dressed in violet and ready to go. Were there any standouts for you in the pageant? Right away, I thought Lemon popped. For me, yeah. I thought she was very fun. She looked gorgeous. And I thought it was the character just, there was such ease with it because I knew that girl. I knew what she wanted. She had an objective and she was just living her storyline. And it uh, was a joy to watch, I thought. 
Lemon never ceases to amaze me when it comes to her acting and improv skills, specifically for somebody who has zero history and training when it comes to acting or improv. She blows my mind. Her ability to embody the essence of a character and stay in character from beginning to end with every beat of those eyelashes, it, it blows my mind. It's straight out the gate coming out as uh, this like you know, bratty little pageant girl whose life goal it is to finally win a pageant to prove her mother wrong. <laughs> It's a great character, and she just nailed it, I thought. And every time, I kept looking for her. Every time, when something would go wrong with another queen, you just looked to mm. her to feel like, oh, someone's got this, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, the first round of the pageant is the talent portion. We have Alona Verley as miserable painting eggplants. Were you as uncomfortable? Please tell me. Well, here's the deal with her. Listen, I really like this queen. I think she's got everything. I think she's interesting. She's got a unique point of view. And I thought this was great casting. And I was really excited to see what she would do with Miserable. Mm -hmm. The problem was, one, she should have done a black wig. Because I think she should have looked like, you know, the girl in high school who stood on the smoker's corner and you were, like, scared to talk to. That Mm -hmm. girl. And then rather than take it to, like, just kind of sad, miserable... I was hoping she would find a way to make it funny in a Debbie Downer kind of way. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like maybe just talk about how awful pageants are and how they objectify mm-hmm. us. And, you know, take it in a smarter way than just, I don't want to be here. It was a missed opportunity, I thought. That being said, it did go to a really weird place with the paint that I thought, okay, at least she's swinging really hard. She may not be hitting, but I, I'd rather take someone swing hard and miss than be boring. Yes. Yes, right? cardinal cardinal sin in this industry. Do not bore us. And that she did not. Priyanka, we have oh. uh, doing her interpretive dance and giving birth on stage. How did this make you feel, Ross? Kind of the same way. I, I love <laughs> Priyanka. And she, the thing about her, um, it, and she did it in the Snatch Game, too. She writes big checks that her performances can't cash sometimes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I was... I was thinking she's going to be great. She comes from this background. She's been in TV, on children's shows. She knows how to play in improv. And this character was supposed to be sort of tough, right? And she just kind of came out with one note, just kind of angry. That being said, it did really work when she gave birth. (laughs) I thought that was funny. I really, I actually, I thought it was so weird. And like, at least that performance went somewhere. It took a minute to get there. But the baby part did make me giggle. And also felt like I knew who, exactly who that girl was. You know, mm-hmm. I've met her before. I've met her. I've met her before, but those performances, when they're just one note, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, you have mm-hmm. to have peaks. A character will try to hide it for a minute, and then the, their, their real fabric of who they are will come out. It's, right. it's not just 100%, 100% of the time. No, I agree. And the thing that was most heartbreaking about watching those two performances be so flat in one note was that it was specifically what Brooklyn Heights told them not to do on her way out of the workroom. Exactly. And they're both such great queens. I Hilarious. love these queens. Hilarious. Yeah. Strong, great at what they do. And they were just yeah. sort of missing the bullseye a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. It's it's funny how that happens sometimes, how things just, that that, that essence of you just doesn't translate sometimes. Um, Jimbo is up next doing her wild sexual animal calls. This was, this was the, this was the tea for me, honey. This did it for me. Oh my God, this was hilarious. I was, I couldn't, I loved how she was going there and then to bring it to just that ridiculous level. But it's yeah. like, it's almost like it was funny and then she took it, so far but maintained that level of humor and it was so 
great. You know, that is risky to do when things are working. Usually you kind of just stay in, Oh, it's working. I'm going to stay here. She, she was working and then she swung hard and that is risky. Well, she did the thing that I think Alona wanted to do, which was to make the audience uncomfortable. And Jimbo made the audience very uncomfortable, but she kept that love, love, like you said, levity and humor. And she just kept going and going and going to the point where the audience, the audience was uncomfortable, but was okay going on that ride with her. Yeah, we trusted her at that point because she was so good and was an audience that she knew. Yeah. Next up, we had Scarlet Bobo playing the bongos. This was, this was fucking hilarious to me. It, it was hilarious. I bet it was more hilarious in person, though, because I was kind of like, I, I just saw the bong and then it it kind of got manic. Sometimes when performers want to be funny and it's not working, they push to manic. Yeah. And so I sort of saw that. I thought it was funny when she was screaming with the bongos, but I didn't quite understand it. And it wasn't that she necessarily had that many levels in her performance. It was, it could be considered to be quite one note as well, but she was in character the whole time and she was still delivering comedy throughout that one note, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was I was okay vibing on her frequency. Okay. Um, Lemon comes out and starts performing as a mime. So funny. Such a great idea. There's so many opportunities for humor. Even when she just first starts trying to open the door and then she realizes she can, it's a pull, not a push. It's so, so funny. stupid and yeah. so funny and so inventive. And then leaving and hitting a wall on her way out. It just was, a, it just felt like a joy to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it made me happy. And then Rita Bega came out and her talent was gift wrapping. Now, Mm -hmm. I remember on the day, uh, or I guess it would have been the next day on the main stage with Rita, giving her the the critique that I I was, when when I heard that she was gift wrapping, I was expecting something so much more. I just felt like it didn't really go anywhere. And if anything, I was hoping that she would have done... Uh, the opposite of what she did and like kind of played on the viral sensation of unboxing things, you know, and like, maybe like, you know, like wrap something up in the box and then, and unwrap it and have it be something else and like film her own reaction or whatever it may be. I just didn't understand where she was going with this gift wrapping gag. Well, I think it just, the idea didn't work. Right. Because Mm. when you think of this idea, okay, what am I, what's my talent going to be? And it's got to be funny. You have to think about how you end. Right. Mm. So what's the ending in that bit? There's, there's nothing funny. Is the funniest thing going to be that the package looks bad? So there's just nowhere to go from from the get go. And uh, I, as soon as I saw what she was doing, I was thinking, oh, this is not going to work. There's no, there's literally nowhere to go. And I just kept thinking, mm-hmm. that's a wrap. Yeah, <laughs> clever. That was quick. That is quick. Something that I really appreciate and find so fascinating about Rita Baga is that she seems to have the opposite problem of Priyanka, and that Priyanka can be super vivacious and energetic and out there, and you can feel the very essence of who she is when she's being pre. And then when it comes to her trying to channel that energy into a character, she gets kind of she plays small. She gets really small. Interesting. I feel like Rita's the opposite, where it's where she's uh, navigating the way her way through the world as Rita. Bega, she's very conscious and very aware of her own being and she uh, it's very controlled and as soon as she has the opportunity to infuse that energy into a character she becomes larger than life yeah and you know she really is such a great great queen you know and incredible so, incredible so it was a it, it bummed me out to see her struggling with the with this talent portion of the pageant because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. she's so good everywhere else Mm-hmm. Well, next up, we had the swimsuit and the Q&A. Were there any other moments that stood out for you in, in the pageant? I thought I thought there weren't any stellar moments in the Q&A. You know, I thought Lemon popped the most in the Q&A because, um, because that, I knew who that character was. Mm. A lot of them missed the mark. That, that 
opportunity in the Q&A is for you to think, what would my character say? And you can't be mm. redundant. And a lot of them just kept repeating what they had said in the beginning. Like, remember, this mm -hmm. is who I am. Remember, this is what my character is. It was almost like a log line of their character as opposed mm. to something their character would say. I think that you just hit the nail on the head. I feel like Lemon and Jimbo were the two who were able to pull that off. And I think it's just reminiscent of the the their innate talent they have uh, that was reflected in their Snatch Game performances as well. Totally. It's, it's that ability to think as the character. Don't tell me who your character is. Tell me what your character would say. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, that said, the winner of Miss Loose Jaw 2020 is... Michelle Dewberry, who snatched the yeah. crown. Well deserved. <laughs> totally. Well and deserved. I knew that. I knew from the beginning she was going to win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally saw that coming. <laughs> no, but I get why you guys did that because you can't crown somebody because you're going to crown them at the end of the episode. So you have right. to find a way out of the pageant somehow. I thought yeah. it was cool. I thought it was brilliant, too. Well, next up, it's Elimination Day. We're back in the workroom, and the tensions are high today, honey. Scarlet Bobo is tired and cranky and having a bit of a bitch fit with her sissy, Alona Verley. Yeah, that was... That, and I still can't figure what they were fighting about. Well, that's the funniest part, is that the other queens are getting their life from these two fighting about nothing. And Priyanka nails it by saying that this is the Seinfeld of all fights, because it's literally <laughs> about nothing. Yeah, but this, but it's also indicative of how tough this competition is, you know? Mm -hmm. So everybody listening, imagine you have been put through the ringer day after day after day after day, separated from your family, taking giant risks, having people critique your every move, trying to get back. The, the pressure cooker is on there are only five other queens between them and the crown and so of course tensions are going to flare and i think both of them were just like pressure cookers releasing some some heat yeah i think so too well to bring some levity to the moment lemon gives us a bit of a herstory lesson about michelle duberry who you touched on earlier who's an absolute legend as the oldest performing drag queen in the world i love moments like this when we can take a moment to pay homage to our queer ancestors because as you said as the queen said we would not be here if it weren't for queens like her who who paved the way and blazed trails you know this is sort of uh an it's a side note but it's one of the reasons i love living in palm springs is because there are so many people mm. who gay people who have come before me who and you you know when you sit at the bar you can pick their brains and they tell you stories of what it used to be like we've done have so much progress in our lifetimes jeffrey but mm -hmm. you think about when they were young kids and how different it was and mm -hmm. it's so important to um to pay attention to what they've done what they have to say Yes. And I yes. and I love that Canada's Drag Race gave Michelle this platform and gave the queens a second to do just that, to reflect mm. on her legacy. Mm. Absolutely. Well, speaking of old queens, Rita Baga lets us know that Lady Bunny <laughs> served as a major inspiration for her. <laughs> <laughs> of course we love Lady Bunny. Thanks, Bunny. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think you're I think you're right. I think that it's uh it's so important to be um recognizing our history, our history, and knowing where we came from so that we can have an understanding as to where we are in this present moment and have a clear idea as to how to blaze a trail for the path ahead of us because the yeah. message that is the message that's fed to us so often as queer people especially as we get older as queer folk is you know 
it, it gets better. That's the message that we're supposed to be portraying to the young queer youth out there. And so often I feel like that message is talking about like the trauma that we endure as young queer kids from heteronormative society, telling us that we are not enough, trying to tear us down, telling us that we're not good enough, that we're this, that, and the other. But I think that's something that needs to be taken into consideration as well, is as we get older, as queer people, I feel like so so many members of our community have embodied that trauma, and we tend to project it onto each other and tear each other down in the queer mm-hmm. community. And that's something I feel like that's why do we do that. Why do we do it, Ross? It's not okay. You know what? We have to have each other's back. I see it. I see it online. I see people what they're saying, what they're doing. Yeah. You know, it is hard enough to be gay. It yeah. is. We need to have each other's back. The last thing we need is to be taking each other down within our community. They are mm-hmm. bigger fights to fight, dear. So um, you, you are so right. And uh, and I thought that this was a beautiful moment this week. I think so too. I think that's. I think something that that our that our queer viewers and fandom out there need to really understand is that us having each other's back is the thing that's going to allow us to uh, uh, soar to higher and higher heights. Because at this point in time, even though we have a tremendous amount of rights and um, certain level of equality at this point in 2020 compared to our queer brothers and sisters from even a decade ago. Uh, the the people who hold the keys to the castle and make the decisions as to whether or not shows like Drag Race are created or stay on the air are generally still s- cisgendered straight white people. So when coming. they see us, when they see us coming for each other and saying that we're pieces of trash and you know, like you know, just destroying the show or destroying the queens or the judges, it doesn't necessarily give them incentive to renew the show or to create more and more queer content. I think that's something that people need to keep in mind. Yeah, and I think they also need to be in mind that passion is one thing, but um, mean meanness is petty. Ooh, you know? girl, I say I say it all the time. Drag is shady, but it's cute to be kind. So if you ain't got nothing nice to say, shut the fuck up. Mm-mm. And bitchy is mm-hmm. boring. Bitchy is so boring and so uncreative, but. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? We digress. We move on to uh, the main stage where indie pop sensation Ali X stomps down the runway and announces the category of the evening, pageant perfection. Mm -hmm. I I, I was living for Ali X in this like Star Wars fashion model getup. She was gorgeous gorgeous Stunning. and I, and she has a song coming they're gonna lip sync to one of her songs later and i loved it i already downloaded it oh you did hello, hello. It's, so it's, gra- hello. It's, yeah. so, it's so great her, it was funny uh we discovered while sitting on the main stage you know talking in between scenes that brooklyn and ali actually went to the same performing arts high school in oh, ontario wow. I love yeah that. me yeah. too small world that school pumps out talent honey it pumps out talent <laughs> uh well I think it's the time the time of the episode where we start to break down what we think about each queen's look of the evening. So up first on the main stage, we have Alona Verley in this lavender look. What do we think? Well, I think she looks she looks beautiful. And I love the top, of course. I agree. Brooklyn said the hair was a little George Washington. I can kind of see that. And I wish there were a little more jewels on the bottom because the, the top is so interesting and the bottom is just sort of ordinary although beautiful i agree i think that it fits her body beautifully i think that it's like very classic and elegant but there are just minor little details that could could have made a world of difference and obviously you know drag is expensive 
drag is expensive, but at this point in the competition, it is about details. We're splitting hairs here. They're all great, you know, but yes. Uh, yes. just a little yep. more. Yeah. Uh, and next up, we have our uh, pageant princess whose favorite food is Skeddy lemon. <laughs> okay, this was so good and so appropriate for the pa- for for this runway. It was the way she saw pageantry, mm-hmm. and I loved it. I mean, she was sending a letter to Zaddy in this mm-hmm. little uh, this little uh, you said Jean Benet. That's what it yeah. is. And I'm so glad they pointed out her little socklets because that is so stupid. I mm-hmm. live for that kind of stupid. And it, I just thought it was fun and beautiful. I couldn't agree more. And once again, Lemon has this incredible ability to be able to infuse the essence of whatever character it is that she's playing and give us every ounce of it in every single moment. It's just such a skill. Mm-hmm. Love it. Uh, next up, we have looking... Gorgeous, Rita Baga. What do we think of Rita Baga in this look? Well, this dress is epic. This dress is something that will be in a museum one day. I mean, this dress will be on shirts in DragCon. You know, it is so stunning. It's so one of a kind. She looks incredibly beautiful. I agree that I don't think the hair is that great. I would have loved like a finger wave or something. It just looked Mm -hmm. a little frizzy and I'm kempt on that one side. So just something a little sleeker would have been nice. And uh, Mm -hmm. a black earring would have uh, changed everything, I think. But the dress itself and her in the dress is perfection. I agree. Her body is just sensational i love that she um did did a little bit of a lighter beat um with this makeup uh my god covering up her tattoos just gave her that like extra level of elegance the hair doesn't bother me truthfully i hear what everybody's talking about that it's a little bit frazzled that it could have been this it could have been that it could have been more more sleek and and slicked back but there's something a little bit unkempt about it that makes me want to like if we were at a gala or a ball or an award show this would be the woman that i would walk up to immediately because i would want to know who she is you know well, I, I get that, but I just think it, she, she just could have committed one way or the other. Either be completely frazzled or be completely glam. And it's sort of an in-between thing where I couldn't figure it out. Fair enough. Um, next up in this stunning, stunning sky blue applique creation fantasy Priyanka. What do we think? beyond ridiculously gorgeous i mean this is like perfection there's i wouldn't change one single thing about it even the fact she matched the shoes to the Mm -hmm. dress it's all so good and these this is the kind of look she needed on the runway this week because her performance wasn't cutting it so she Mm -hmm. needed to be a head above everybody else a step above them on the runway and i think she was I agree. Everything about this look to me is like the reigning queen from Miss Loose Jaw 2019 coming out to crown the new winner of Miss Loose Jaw 2020. Stunning. Exactly. Yeah. Um, next up, we have Jimbo. Tell me what you think, Ross Matthews. Now, this is a controversial look, uh, and I know it uh, caused some uh, tension backstage. And, and uh, was talking Did it about ever. You. So listen, um, first things first, uh, if you look at it from really far away, uh, it is fun, right? Like yeah. it's cut pink, it's bright, she's blonde, there's jewels, fun. Yeah. Then yeah. you start zooming in a little bit and the shape is off, right? Mm-hmm. The I think it's trying to be like a bell skirt or a hoop skirt. Um, but th- those only really work when the waist is really cinched. And because there's all this boa around her and all this fur, it, the shape gets 
lost. And that's unfortunate because I think there are some things going on here that could work. It's just gone more in a clowny direction than in a glamour direction. Just because it's fur and pink and there's jewels on it doesn't mean it's glamour. I think glamour also has to do with fit, right? And mm -hmm. with perfection. Uh, and it's hard to mirror camp and glamour. I've seen it done a couple times. You know, I think um, a couple times on Drag Race, people have been managed to do it, but it hasn't worked here. Um, I, don't, I think Nina did it a couple times on Drag Race. Yep. yep. Um, right? Here, mm -hmm. here, I... I I, I don't think it's not glamorous at all because the elements are there. I just think it's put together incorrectly. Well, that's fair enough. I, um, as we heard, was not a huge fan of this look, although I was completely blown away by her comedic skills in the pageant. There's just, it's just elements of this outfit that all, when it all comes together, it just, it just doesn't work. And I think that the reason why myself, Brooklyn and Stacey were so disappointed by it is because Jimbo had just been stepping her fashion pussy up, honey. The mm -hmm. past two or three weeks, she delivered us gorgeous, glamorous, glamazon fashion queen. So to come out in this, it was uh, it was just it was disappointing for all of us, especially because she did so extraordinarily well in the pageant challenge that we had our fingers crossed and we're really hoping that Jimbo could have taken a win on this on this week's episode. Yes. You know? But I think if there was another challenge where some other queen had to take all of this dress apart and put together something glamorous, they would be yes. successful because it yes. does have the material and it has the jewels and the stuff. It, like I just said, I think it's assembled incorrectly. Yeah, I agree. I was looking at your face when they um, cut to uh, our deliberations on the main stage and I did that. <laughs> Turd City. <laughs> Do you know what that's from? Do you get the reference? <laughs> no, but it made me laugh. And I, think I, I actually think I stayed in Turd City once. <laughs> <laughs> what's the reference it's definitely not glamorous there darling it was from it was from uh an episode that i did of all stars three uh the bitchler when uh backstage during untucked uh chichi devane was talking about her performance and she said turd city it's just one of my favorite moments that is so funny that that's what you <laughs> caught on to that is hilarious <laughs> it's one of my it's one of my favorite moments in drag race oh, history anyway on to our uh, last queen of the evening scarlet bobo ridiculously gorgeous i mean this look this what would you change here nothing, nothing. I mean, she's on nothing. a real streak and i'm not talking about her wig it mm -hmm. is so beautiful and i can't think of a single woman or man who wouldn't want to wear that or look like that yeah, this is truly the most stunning that we had ever seen Scarlet Bobo look. And I just love that she was able to keep the essence of who she is, that kind of badass rocker bitch mixed in with this pageant princess fantasy. I'm living for every every ounce of this. It's so good. Back in the workroom, the queens untuck and Priyanka is feeling so disappointed in herself. It's the second improv challenge and the second time that she stumbled her way through it. She's freaking out because she quit her day job as a children's TV host. I didn't know that she was still working as a children's TV host up until the time that she came on the show. Yeah, me either. What must they feel? I mean, they're like, that's like watching Mr. Rogers in drag. Yes. You know, what must that be like for them? So exciting. So yeah, know, exciting. Right? Yeah, you know, and well, that's risky. And I really applaud her for that. Because when you are, when you are defined as something, you know, mm -hmm. and then she's sort of been defined as like, no, she's a kid's host. To then be able to say, but that's just one thing I can do. Look at this too. It's a big risk. And uh, she did stumble this week. And it wasn't the first time she stumbled. It seems like this kind of challenges, although they seem tailor made for her, mm -hmm. um, 
are tripping her up in this competition. Uh, so she's right to feel how she's feeling. And I hope she's mm -hmm. not mad at herself. I hope she's frustrated because she knows she can do better. There's a difference, right? We all fail, but yeah. you can't sit there and beat yourself up about it. You can just yeah. make sure you never fail like that again. Yeah, I feel like she has a really uh, a really conscious ability to not allow herself to go into shame. I think that she said it. She said it perfectly. She said she feels embarrassed. And I think the difference between the two yeah. of feeling embarrassed and feeling ashamed is that shame is I am bad, whereas embarrassment is I did bad. But that's not who I am. I can pick myself up and do better next exactly. time. Exactly. You know, exactly. yeah. Well, Lemon Lemon says that at this point in the competition, one rhinestone out of place will get you gone. And she also lays it all out in the most poignant way possible that the judges aren't critiquing the queens to hurt their feelings. We're trying to help y'all out for next week, honey, so you can make it to the next week and the week after that and snatch that crown at $100,000. I always say that about when people come to me and say, oh, you were mean. One, we're never being mean. We, we Never. We only... It goes without saying that we love these queens. Yeah. We love them. You think we're sitting there in, investing in them if we didn't love them? We love yeah. them. This Obsessed. is about nudging people towards greatness. Yeah. Some of the best things I ever achieved is because somebody I trusted told me there was a better way to do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. She held up a mirror and showed me what, what I was putting out into the world. And then you can adjust it. And so uh, I hope that she's able to hear your critique, Jeffrey, and, and feel that like it, you weren't attacking her, but you were just sort of saying you've seen her do better and you expect a different level from her. Totally. I, you know, watching this moment with Jimbo backstage, I don't take it personally. I know it had nothing to do with me. I mean, she was, like you said, this is a drag race. Those girls have been under a tremendous amount of pressure week after week, day after day after day. And it, we all reach our boiling point at one point or another. I love Jimbo. I think she's, she's one of my favorite queens in, not just in the drag race world, but out of, you know, every queen that I've ever encountered. I think she's fucking extraordinary. It's undeniable how sensational she is. I just think that she was having a, a moment moment reminiscent of Alaska uh, from All Stars 2. Just a bit of a meltdown when you're doing so well in the competition and you can see the finish line and then all of a sudden your safety is threatened and mm -hmm. you, it's, it's hard not to lash out in those moments. So I hope the, the fans can hear that. Yeah, I hope they do too. Yeah, I'm surprised. So you have fans who have come for you and told you that you're mean to the queens? How? Yeah. What? This season I uh, of All Stars, I said one look of Shay's was crafty because it was like a butterfly look. It didn't yeah. mean it wasn't beautiful. It's just like, yeah. I think of butterflies as like, you know, crafting. It's just like a little, mm -hmm. I, whatever. And like, and so uh, <laughs> how do I need to articulate this? Uh, there was no malice behind it. It just was like no. a little crafty. Other people were like elevated and glamorous and hers was like, you know, colorful and and whatever. And so the, the fandom got mad at me for that. Um, but you know, I mean, listen, we, I'm in the room with her. Shay and I are amazing. I mean, I think she's extraordinary and we're yeah. good. It's just, some people get really defensive of these Queens because they love them. They fall in love with them and they're rooting for them. And I absolutely get that, but they need to know that we too are loving them and rooting for them. There you go. And there's a difference between sensitivity and toxicity. You can be sensitive and feel for these Queens, but you don't need to spew that toxicity out at uh, anybody on the internet exactly. truthfully. and because right? all of this is done in love this show is all about love mm -hmm. absolutely mm -hmm. absolutely because if you can't love yourself how the hell are you gonna love somebody else can i get an amen about who amen <laughs> well back on the main stage the winner of this week's maxi challenge is lemon yes Ooh. and deservedly so 
deservedly so uh, who wins an all-inclusive vacation for two to iceland courtesy of pink iceland not pink eyes land pink iceland <laughs> no good for her and i went once this uh, pandemic is over i hope she goes <laughs> so me too i know all of these queens winning all of these trips and cruises and vacations it's I like know. oh god they may, have to, they may have to ask for the receipt. Um, the bottom two lip syncing for their lives this week to Hello by Ali X, the tune great that song. you just downloaded. That's a great song. The tune that I've had on repeat for the past six months of my life, singing it over and over again, are uh, Alona Verley and Priyanka. Now, Ross, I could see, I was watching your face. I could see how nervous you were when we announced Priyanka in the bottom two. Because well, I think she's so good, um, yeah. but I thought she deserved to be in the bottom two today. I liked both of these queens and I really didn't know how this lip sync was going to turn out until it started. And then Mm -hmm. it became, to me, it became clear uh, who was going to be going home. Yeah, yeah, I felt the same way. Can we say that? Can I say that I knew? We you knew? can say that. You can say you knew. <laughs> well, listen, I. It's just sometimes you you don't know, and it's about one moment or something. It's really difficult, and sometimes they're easier. This was this was a, a for one queen. This was the moment you could tell she was owning the stage, owning mm-hmm. the judges, and mm-hmm. uh, it, I think it ended how it should. I think I. I hate for anyone to go home at this point because I think they all have such amazing potential, but there's mm-hmm. no losers at this point either because each queen who's made it this far now has a whole new career ahead of them, a, a new fandom a whole, and uh, an endless countless opportunities. Absolutely. And the great thing about them being up in Canada, as opposed to you and I down here in Los Angeles, is that Canada is back to like some semblance of normalcy. They're doing viewing parties. They're doing they like live appearances. Yeah. Can you believe it? Can you believe? I literally can't imagine. I Like I told you, it's me and these chihuahuas for seven months. I'm losing my mind, Jeffrey. I know. You're such a people person. I know, my darling. I'm well, I'm here for me. you. I would love to hang anytime. Let's go out to Palm Springs next weekend. Let's make it happen. Okay. okay. All right, my darling. Well, that's it for this portion of the pod, Kitty Girls. Uh, thank you to my sensational, extra special guest, Ross Matthews, for joining me. Yeah, I just love you, and it was an honor to be here. And I love I love this show, and I love the people that watch this show. I love the people that listen to your podcast. So thank you so much for caring about what we, what we try to put out into the world. So thank you. Mm, oh, I echo your sentiments tenfold, Roth. That's so beautiful. And I would love to have you over on uh, my other podcast, Conversations with Others. Yeah, will you come guys. back on my podcast, Straight Talk with Ross? I it, being on straight talk with Ross is one of my favorite things to do. So without question, absolutely. <laughs> All right. right, stay tuned, and I'll be right back with this week's Illuminated Queen coming up next. Hello, my divas. It's your Essex girl Cheryl Hole here. Now you know I love my girl group, so I've started a brand new podcast called Girl Group Gossip. Each week, we discuss in depth our favorite girl groups from the Saturdays to Girls Aloud to the Pussycat Dolls and maybe even Desperate Housewives. You name it. We'll discuss it. Joining me on the podcast, I have got some extra special guests and extra special co-hosts. So tune in each week and let's have a gossip. Hey, squirrel friends. I'm back with the one and only Miss Alona Verley. Hey, Alona, how's your head? Hi. I mean, it's still attached to my body, so I guess we're good or... (laughs) You know, no complaints. That's the right answer. There you go. There you go, honey. I'm so happy to see you. How are you? 
Yeah, I'm good. Nice to see you. Nice to talk to you. I, uh, yeah, we're, we're good. We're good over here. I hope you're doing good too. I am. I mean, I, I, y'all are up in Canada though. And I always have this thing where I talk with the Queens. I'm here in Los Angeles and we are still basically in lockdown and y'all still have like a certain level of freedom. I hear that you all are doing like live screenings and appearances and stuff. How's it been so far for you? Yeah, no, I'm definitely super grateful that even though it's different than how a drag show typically is, that we're still able to have drag shows in a safe, COVID-friendly way and um, be able to watch the episode with a club audience and uh, be around be around people, you know? I, I feel like if we had to watch the show just sitting on our couches, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be the same experience. It wouldn't yeah. be the same experience at all. So I'm definitely grateful that we're still able to get out, perform, have fun with the crowd, and do all that. Paint a picture for me because I literally have no reference for what it is that y'all are doing when it comes to these live live performances. It's just it's so unimaginable to me because we're like so locked crazy. in our houses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the first time um, that Scarlett and I did a viewing party uh, here in Vancouver, we did Celebrities Nightclub on Davy Street, yes. and uh, they had the whole club like kind of cleared out, and they set up these little bubble areas that were like little lounges, so like uh, one couch and a coffee table. And it was all six feet apart and they had like the plastic curtains around each area. And so everyone's there and they're watching the show, but it's like they're separate, you know, and they're mm -hmm. all in their little bubbles with like the curtains and the, the plastic hanging. And so it was definitely interesting because I know a lot of drag performers were used to getting out in a crowd and interacting mm -hmm. with the audience. So it's like right now we got to stay on stage and do our mm -hmm. numbers on stage and um, just give, give lots of eye contact to the, to the audience. And um, when I went over to Victoria to do Jimbo's viewing party, the stage there actually had plexiglass oh. all the way around the stage. Wow. So it was really crazy because obviously the audience can see through the glass and see us performing. But because of the way the stage lights are in the plexiglass, all you see is yourself. So it's like you're performing <sighs> to like all these mirrors. And so it's <sighs> kind of like just performing in your bedroom, like in the mirror is very that energy. But I felt like I did better because I could see what I was doing. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, so there, there's some upsides for the COVID drag shows. It's like it's like you're in a fishbowl. How, how you know? I cut my teeth in Vancouver. I lived in Vancouver from my from my teen years. I used to go to celebrities every Tuesday night. I'd go to oh Odyssey, Odyssey every Thursday night for Shower Power. I was there for yeah. every drag show. I mean, I was like, I, I used to go to drag king shows, drag queen shows in Vancouver. That was really where I cut my teeth. How long have you lived in Vancouver? That's so fierce. Um, I've been living in Vancouver since high school well technically like you know surrey the suburbs since high school and then as soon as i turned 19 i moved right downtown vancouver to the davy village me too right that's where i lived yeah that's where all the queers are <laughs> yes i was on davy and jervis in that super tall building uh that's attached to super value do you know do you know what building oh, okay about? yeah my my ex drake sister used to live in that building that's so, so funny. funny. I loved yeah. it. I missed that hood. Well, let's talk about your experience on the show. How are you feeling about your Drag Race journey? Oh, my gosh. I mean, here's the thing. Obviously, Drag Race, dream come true. Dream come yeah. true. You yeah. could put a million dampers on it, and it would still be a dream come true. So mm. it's definitely different, obviously, going through this experience with COVID and not getting to do the tours we were all hoping to do and the mm. fun out-of-town gigs and all of this. So it's been a journey to kind of reinvent this experience, you know, and still find all these positive, exciting things and things that we can do with our platforms in this new, unique way. Mm. Um, so it's definitely been a great experience, but obviously, you know, there's that little part of you that's like, 
sad that you're not touring and you're not doing all the fun like typical drag race girl stuff so yeah. um there, there's it's like a win-lose situation but i know eventually everything will be fine and we'll get to do tours eventually so it's just taking it for what you can get right now and enjoying every day as it comes and people are going to be so fucking excited by the time that that lockdown does ease up and do get a chance to see you in person all across the planet people are going to be drooling for it you know absolutely <laughs> so you you are you were one of the few queens who had actually applied for audition for uh, rupaul's drag race as well as canada's drag race how yeah. many times what, what was that journey like for you what, how many times did you had you auditioned for rupaul's drag race okay so i i remember it was like season like six or seven or something like i wasn't wow. even doing club drag yet i was literally doing bedroom drag and I remember downloading the application process and just like making an addition tape for fun, just to like say I did it. And I never submitted it or anything. So I have this really old ghetto edition tape from like years and years ago. That was technically my first time ever seeing the application. And then I, uh, the first time I seriously auditioned was for season 11, I submitted an edition tape. And then that obviously really didn't go anywhere. And then season 12, I snapped because at that point I kind of you know had done a real edition tape and I knew what to expect what to put into it how to go with the process so I felt a lot more confident and mm -hmm. at the time I was still just living in Vancouver but I thought it'd be really cute if I lied and said that I was like living part-time in Vancouver part-time in LA already mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I submit my tape I spent probably like 10 grand making that edition tape like just on all wow. the outfits like I had drones and stuff like mm -hmm. I I wanted it to be really good because at that point I like needed to get out of Vancouver. I needed an escape. So it's like, I need this to be good so I can like have success, you know? And um, I ended up making myself homeless over that edition tape because I couldn't pay my rent because of all the money I spent on my tape. And so I ended up moving in with my mom for a month. And then that was kind of while the edition process was happening after I submitted the tape. And I was like, you know what? I said that I was living part-time between here and LA. Mm -hmm. I go to LA all the time. Why don't I just, snap and move to LA I'm like I have hardly any money I can afford a plane ticket so I packed up like three suitcases hopped on a plane and went and moved to LA to live with my cousin mm -hmm. um because of my status card I have um like all my American ID as well so I have the technical dual citizenship yeah. so I was able to just do it and um yeah I was just staying with my cousin for like seven months that I was living there and then um Canada's drag race got announced and obviously I didn't get on season 12 so I was like okay we're going back to Canada. I'm getting on this show, Hell or High Water. It's meant to be. So yeah, I had quite a journey. Did you do a, a brand new audition tape for Canada's Drag Race then? So there was, yeah, there's definitely kind of a loophole because I know every year they ask you to film a new audition tape because uh -huh. obviously the girls that are keep reapplying, you know, they don't want to see the same stuff. But with Canada's Drag Race, because it was um, a different team casting it, I was able to kind of recycle the season 12 tape a little bit. <laughs> so I filmed like some new stuff for the Canada edition tape. But um, yeah, I was able to use a lot of my old footage, which I was really grateful for because it's all really sickening. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, my cousin helped me put it together. We did it in like five days, I think, just because we were like banging it out. And um, yeah, and then we submitted it and then everything started happening. And then before you knew it, I was getting the call that I was on the show and I was hopping on a plane to come back to Canada and yeah, it was a wild, wild ride. 
Isn't that so funny? I can relate to so many elements of that story of your journey from Vancouver down to Los Angeles. I lived in Vancouver for years, like I said, and then went to Toronto, was there for a few months, but felt like I had hit that glass ceiling, very, feeling very similar to how you were feeling. Like you really wanted success. You really wanted to be working. You wanted all the opportunities that you see so many people getting that we just didn't have access to. And so I did the same thing. I had no money in my bank account, yeah. packed three suitcases, jumped on a plane and moved to New York. And it was like the scariest thing I've ever done, but it had, it definitely held the biggest payoffs for sure absolutely yeah so you you were you were the only vancouver queen of the season at yeah. the time were you familiar with any of the other queens upon entering the workroom yeah um i i mean i was definitely expecting there to be at least one other girl from vancouver so mm -hmm. as like the girls were coming in i was like okay well am i the only one you know and um but yeah as some of the girls came in I obviously was familiar with a few of them. Um, Scarlett Bobo, she's my drag aunt, so we're family. I've known her oh. forever. We have never actually met in person until that moment in the workroom, but we always used to FaceTime and all oh, that. Wow. And um, yeah, we would we would always go get lip filler on the same days and then like FaceTime. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we called it Filler Fridays. It's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, so Fun. I knew of Scarlett, of course, and then I knew Tainomi, I knew Juice, I knew Kine. And then I think that's about it. I knew of Priyanka. I never really interacted with her, but I knew kind of who she was. And um, yeah, I think that's kind of it for all the girls that I knew. I think the biggest surprise for me was Jimbo because I had no idea who she was. And then when she was saying that she was from Victoria, I was like really shocked because I kind of grew up part-time in Victoria because my dad lived there. Oh, wow. So I, I'm familiar with Victoria and I've gone there um, to do drag shows and stuff. And I've never, never heard of Jimbo until the workroom. But Jimbo doesn't really hadn't really been performing a lot in Victoria. That's, is that correct? Yeah, I believe like what her her gig was is she did a lot of cabaret style shows. So mm. she didn't do a lot of like the Victoria drag shows with quotations right. there. Uh, right. She did more like cabaret, like burlesque kind of like live performing kind of shows. Mm. So slightly different scenes, but still drag. <laughs> so so interesting. So what what has the response been from viewers in regards to your being the first Indigenous two-spirited queen in Drag Race history? Do you get, I'm sure you must get a lot of messages. It's been really, really, like, amazing just reading all of these messages because I knew that it was going to make a difference for people to have representation like this because, mm -hmm. as I mentioned a million times, like, all I wanted growing up was some some representation, like someone to look up to and be like, oh, they're kind of like me, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so I knew that it was going to be impactful, but I didn't know how impactful. And it's mm -hmm. like the deep, deep messages that people send me, like, it's not even just like, oh, like, thanks for representing. It's like these big, long, like, novels about how much it means to them and like how much it's inspired them to like not give up their hopes and not give up their dreams. Because I know so, so many kids that are just living on reserves in the middle of nowhere that just feel like they're never going to get off the res, that they're never going to be able to, you know, go and chase their dreams. And although I'm not one of those people that is stuck in the middle of nowhere on a reservation, like far from a city, I know that story and I know family and I know so many people that have gone through that experience. And it's so easy to feel very helpless in that situation. Like you're never going to make it anywhere. So if mm -hmm. I can give people that inspiration and when people are like telling me things like that, it just makes me feel really happy that, me being on a mainstream media platform can be so impactful to other people. 
Absolutely. And you said something really poignant in this week's episode that to, to Brooklyn in one of the workroom walkthroughs that it's not always your uh, responsibility to educate. Sometimes it's just the very fact that you were there and representing that is going to make the biggest difference. Because I, like you, didn't really have anybody when I turned on my television screen when I was growing up that I could see myself reflected in. So just knowing how impactful Absolutely. your very presence of being there, it's going to make it's going to make a world of difference for for so many people. Right now, here in the United States, obviously, as I'm sure you know, we're going through this huge uh, movement, the revolution of the Black Lives Matter um, movement. People, when they think of Canada, don't necessarily think of racism or oppression or xenophobia or whatever it may be. But a lot of people don't really know that there is a very deep dark, fucked up history of racism and oppression that continues on to this very day in a Canada with all yeah. bodies of color, but specifically with Indigenous people. Is this, are you guys feeling the same energy of the movement that we're feeling here in the States when it comes to bringing awareness to the lived experience of, of Indigenous people in Canada? Yeah, that's a very, that's a very interesting point to talk on. Um, you know, all of the rallies here in Vancouver, when we were doing like the big rallies, um, it was really amazing to see Indigenous people being included into that BIPOC like blanket and mm -hmm. made a part of the discussion because so many times, um, you know, when these big race debates have come up, when it comes to Indigenous people, and Indigenous rights, it just gets swept right under the carpet. Mm -hmm. And there's never that passion or that fight to stand up for Indigenous people and Indigenous rights as mm -hmm. there is for other minorities. And so with the whole term by POC, yeah. it's really included Indigenous people in this conversation. And it, it goes hand in hand with the Black Lives Matters thing. Like mm -hmm. we are a minority that is constantly getting shit on and mm -hmm. constantly getting disposed of. Um, so I think it's been really amazing seeing Indigenous people brought into the spotlight with the hardships that we go through with like missing murdered Indigenous women and just yes. like all of these crazy, crazy things that um, we've been dealing with in silence for, for yeah. centuries, it feels like, you know? I, you're you absolutely hit the nail on the head you have your your people have been dealing with it in silence for centuries and it's you know just speaking from my own experience growing up in Alberta I was the only person of color really in my community and uh, from my perspective the perception of blackness from from people around me was something to be uh, feared and kind of misunderstood but the perception and the relationship with Aboriginal and Indigenous First Nation people in Alberta that I grew up around uh, people were just, it seemed so ignored. Like people were just kind of cast aside to, to live on uh, reserves. And uh, there was really no, from what I experienced, and I lived in Canada from the time that I was born until my late teens, there was really no sense of connection or community between yeah. uh, between the suburbs I grew up in and the, the native reservations that surrounded us, that surrounded mm -hmm. my community. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it is that that there isn't such a uh, there there isn't the same level of attention paid or the energy infused into it or the voices that are heard from Indigenous people as as in the Black community right now? Because I don't understand it. It's you know it's one of those things with the whole idea of reserves were was created by like a white man to yeah. segregate and separate Indigenous people. Be like, well, yeah. you go stay there, and we're going to be over here, you know, mm -hmm. and so. It's still this thing to this day where obviously we are proud of our lineage and like our background, but the whole topic of reserves can be really touchy to a lot of Indigenous people because they are part of like that systematic 
thing that was created to keep us separate, to keep us apart. And mm -hmm. it's, I've heard a million times, like even growing up, I grew up most of the time on the island and um, my cousins uh, all had their reserves there. And um, just hearing like the way that people would talk to them about being like, oh, well, go back to the reserve. Like, why are you off the reserve? Like, shouldn't you be staying on the reserve? Like, blah, 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 oh blah, 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 blah. And like, I didn't necessarily experience that because my reserve is up in the canyon. And so when we would go spend time there, we would spend time there and we would right. be there. It wouldn't, it wasn't as intermixed with like the small town communities that are off the res, you know, but just yeah. experiencing that with my cousins and my aunts, and everything on the island and like the way that they were talked to, it just makes me sick. But I think that's kind of part of it is people are so used to just thinking, oh, well, yeah, Indigenous people are, are on the reserve. And then they just don't have to think about the reserve, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's where they are. That's where you can go find them. No one cares to go there and talk to Indigenous people, hear about what they're going through, you know? Like, a good percentage of the reserves in Canada still don't even have running water. Yeah. It's, like, full third world conditions. And people don't want to acknowledge it because they don't have to look at it, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, they know. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, that's out there. But they're like, oh, it's not, not in my community. It's not down the street for me, you know? It is, though. So that kind of comes into the whole, like, reason why, like, reserves are still, like, a really touchy thing, because it's mm -hmm. this tool that's been made to silence us and separate us. That makes sense. That's so insidious and makes perfect sense. And it just, it's just, it's the system of segregation. It's the same playbook that white man has, has used against uh, black and brown people for centuries upon centuries. I think Absolutely. it's so important. Yeah, I think it's so important for you to be able to, even for me, a, you know, a black person, a person of color who grew up in Canada, who grew up around uh, First Nations, Indigenous people who didn't really have a deep understanding as to why things are the way they are. I mean, I'm from obviously, I've done my own reading and research, and I have a, a knowledge of the history of First Nations people in Canada, but it's so important. Like you said, Alona, it's not necessarily your job to educate, but just the very fact that you are here and you are representing as the first, not only Indigenous, but two-spirited queen in Drag Race history, it is epic, my darling. Epic. Thank you. I, I, I mean, think of all those kids out there who are growing up on reserves who are going to look to you and for the first time have their consciousness expanded and realize that they too can do drag. How how did you first start doing drag um well so back in the day i used to be like a real nerd and you know watch anime and comic books and all that and so i used to cosplay and that's where you just dress up as characters from different shows and all this and um so eventually i got to the point with cosplaying where i really wanted to cosplay female characters because i like their outfits better i always just felt more connected to these female characters and um so one day my friend, I was like talking to him about this. He's like, oh no, like you can totally do that. It's like a thing. It's like called drag. And I was like, oh, like, what are you talking about? And <laughs> I kind of was a little sheltered growing up. So I didn't even know what drag was really. And um, so we sat down and we watched season two and three of RuPaul's Drag Race. And my eyes were opened and I was mm -hmm. so inspired. And so I started learning how to do a little bit of makeup and I would start cosplaying these female characters. And eventually I kind of got sick of dressing up as characters and I wanted to express my feminine energy and create my own being through drag mm -hmm. and um then i just started doing drag for myself and the rest was history <laughs> your aesthetic is so um uniquely your own something that i i didn't follow any of you while we were actually filming the series but I, as soon as we wrapped i started following you immediately and I, I am obsessed with your instagram where did you come up with this whole color blocking pastel fantasy like it's so fucking brilliant thank you thank you um, so at the time when I was kind of first getting into the drag scene here in Vancouver, there was, um, a show 
called Brat Pack that was with Chainsmoker, Geometric, Kendall Gender, and uh, some other girls. And what their branding for the show was is that they each had a color. And so every week they would all wear their color to the show. And so I was really inspired by that because I really looked up to those girls. And um, eventually down the road, um, my drag partner Coco Klein and I started doing our own show and we called it Lollipop and we wanted it to be like really like pastel kind of goth. And uh, so we were like being like, okay, well, we have to pick colors now. Mm. And so she decided to be pastel pink. I decided to be pastel blue. And then so we were doing this show and we were always made sure we were in our colors. Every show inspired by Rat Pack, you know, <laughs> and um Eventually, when our show wrapped, I was still kind of doing this like pastel goth thing with like the black and the pops of pastel. And um, I kind of realized like that I was only doing that because that's what I had access to. I never really thought about making my own outfits from scratch. I was always just mm -hmm. buying things from a thrift store and modifying them and painting little pops of pastel colors on it. And um, I realized like I really like that like look and aesthetic of like monochrome looks being like head to toe one color. And so I branched off and I started just doing head to toe powder blue looks all the time. And I was making all these outfits and stuff. And um, everyone was like in Vancouver was like calling me the queen of pastels. And then someone <laughs> brought up a very valid point to me that if I'm going to be the queen of pastels, I have to do more than just powder blue. And so then I was like, oh my God, you're right. And so I restarted my entire Instagram uh, to start at pink. And then I cycled through and I started doing these head to toe looks of every pastel color. And then I've just kind of, got so into it and like I enjoy it so much even my apartment like my own apartment is all pastel each room is wow. a different pastel color <gasps> and um yeah and so that's like my thing and I really like it so I kind of just like slipped into it and it's um just something that makes me feel happy every time I look at like a solid pastel color it just makes me like feel really good inside <laughs> it makes it makes me feel happy too you're so you're it's so oh honey it's so unique it just makes my mouth water every time i log on no, to instagram oh, to see something. thank you no i mean it well speaking of inspirations of yours you're a huge fan of ali x and yeah. you've re revealed in this week's episode that you have some lyrics of hers tattooed on you let's talk about this last stand this last lip sync between yourself and Priyanka performing in front of Aliex. What? Tell me what. Tell me what you remember. What you're thinking. What you're feeling. What your experience was. I remember, you know, going into Drag Race. I was like, if there's one song I have to end up lip syncing, that's the one I want. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is the one I want. And um, obviously, I've gone through two lip syncs at this point. Still has not been the song I wanted. You know. And so at this <laughs> point, when I find out it's hello. I was just like, hello, bitch, let's do it. And um, so I was really excited. I was like super down. I knew all the words. Like, that's that's my song. Like, I listen to that all the time. I still listen to it. No Me hard too. feelings to it, you know. And um, so I was just really excited. And like, I just thought it was like super cool that I got to perform it in front of her, you know. Yeah. And because um, I've had these interactions with her through my life, like in these weird little ways. Like, she was trying to like find local queens to open for her tour. And I sent her a video of me performing Old Habits Die Hard. And she replied to it. And she was like, this gave me chills. And so I was like super shook by that. And then like so many other times I've come like so close to meeting her. And uh, my designer, Evan Clayton, has done a lot of stuff for her for her tours. So it's like there's always this like really close call with me and her. And so when I found out that day that she was going to be the guest judge, it sent me. And I was like mm. literally like I was like, OK, I want to lip sync it. <laughs> and then I ended up <laughs> it, and I was like, "Wow, okay, this is fierce. That's what I wanted, you know." 
And then you got to meet her backstage. She came and had a little kiki with you. Oh, that sent me off the deep end. I was literally yeah. like in full tears. And I see her coming in the workroom. And I'm like, no, 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 this isn't real. That's like an <laughs> apparition. Like, that's not a thing that's happening. And um, sure enough, there she was looking as iconic as ever. And um, yeah, like what a cool cool moment i'm still still so shook up over it <laughs> yeah it was it was a moment well we're gonna have to start to wrap things up pretty soon but i want to know what were what were some of your most impactful memories or experiences of being on set with us oh my gosh that's a really hard question i feel like you know just being a part of this show and actually going through the experience that is filming drag race um, as opposed to just watching it uh, really opened my eyes and really helped me connect with myself, you know? Mm. And I feel like I had a very strong sense of self going into the show, but I think leaving the show, I learned so much about myself and who I really am and how I really view my drag and even just my relationships with other people. And I think probably just like the knowledge and experience I got from the show was definitely like the highlight for me. Mm. And it was just like, really really eye-opening and exciting and cool and fun and like i got all these sisters now and we have our little mm. group chat and we talk every day <laughs> and mm. um yeah i i would say the highlight for me was just the overall experience amazing what what if anything would you have done differently i'm gonna phrase this question two ways what if anything would you have done differently or what advice would you give to alona verley if she were to be walking into the workroom today hmm I think for me, I was so in my head about how I should come off. And mm. I'm very solid in my brand, very solid in my aesthetic. And I was taking all these um, choices to do things to show that I was versatile. And I wish I didn't do that. I wish I would have went in fully being myself, being like, here's my brand. This is what I do. And like not doing my denim look in dark blue and doing it, you know, doing something more me with it. Yeah. You know, I was trying to be like, here I am being like high fashion girl. I should have just done me, you know? Yeah, and yeah. I would say that would be my advice to myself is just go in there, be yourself. You know who you are. Don't get in your head. Just be proud of everything you bring and just do it authentically 100% Alona. Oof. That's what I would do if I got to do it again. <laughs> Honey, that is, that is some solid, solid advice. And is there anything that you want to say to the fans and viewers out there? Any message you want to leave them with? Um, I would just say, remember at the end of the day, like the 12 of us girls, like we are all so close. I know you guys have watched the show and you're seeing these little spits and spats, but friends fight. And mm -hmm. if anything, these fights just make us closer and um, really just help us solidify our friendship. So at the mm -hmm. end of the day, we're all friends. Don't send any of us hate. You know, if you're a fan of someone and they fight with someone, don't send hate. We're all still mm -hmm. friends. We're sisters, you know? And I would say just spread positivity we're all human yes. and we all have feelings <laughs> yes girl that is a message for the ages well <laughs> i want to let you know that i love you and i think you're doing a great job alona and when i say i love you girl i mean i love you from head to toe and everything in between including that big old juicy booty girl i oh love God, it I'm living iconic i love it i love Thank it i love you. it yeah Thank you're welcome you. You are forever a part of the Drag Race family. We're all in this together. Thanks for being here, Alona. Hell yeah. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
Okay, kitty girls, thanks for following along. I'd love to hear from the listeners what you think, what your favorite moments are, who are your standouts, share your comments, and spread the love on Instagram and Twitter at World of Wonder, hashtag Canada's Drag Race Podcast. We'll be sure to put links in the show notes to all of our Queen's social pages so you'll know where to find them, along with Ali X, Brooklyn Heights, Stacey McKenzie, and myself. Once again, you can catch all new episodes of Canada's Drag Race every Thursday night on WOW Presents Plus in the U.S. and Select Territory as well as Logo, Crave, and OutTV in Canada, BBC3 in the UK, and Stan in Australia. We'll see you all back here next week with another extra special guest. And remember, drag is shady, but it's cute to be kind. So if you don't got nothing nice to say, shut the fuck up. I'm JBC, and I'll see you next time. Bye! Bye!